So welcome to another episode of Beta Talk and this episode I'm quite excited about because this is going to be all about heat pumps. And I've been trying to track, track down Ken Bone for a while now, someone I know on Twitter um, who is coming across as quite an expert in this area and he's joining me today. So hello Ken. Hello. I've also got Paul Lane who I know on Twitter. He's uh, from a company called Highland Plumbing and Heating. Have I got that right Paul? That's right, yep. And also today, so we're at the IMI train, and I met a lovely couple of people, a father and son outfit, and they are James and Ashley from H2O Plumbing and Heating 1984 Limited. And uh, James, that's when you started, is that right? Yep, that's when the uh, the company was set up not in '84. So. And Ashley, that's when you were born. Have I got that right? Yep, that's right. Yep. So yeah, so we're here to talk about heat pumps, and this is going to be a good topic. There's a there's a wider audience out there, I feel, who who want to learn a little bit more about heat pumps. There kind of seen as i think is this right would you say ken something that's going to save the world but we yes. like them don't we they're, they're good but yeah. we need to think very carefully about them don't we uh, they're going to be sort of badges of green technology really at the moment and there's going to be a big upscale of uh heating changes in the foreseeable years the government are trying to cut down the carbon footprint and these are seen as a engine that's going to save the planet and give us heat and hot water so we, we, we're, we're both uh, familiar with people like Nebi and yep. I know Phil Hurley, who's the, the vice chair of the Heat Pump Association. And I sort of work very closely at Low Carbon Homes, uh, as the Heat Pump Association do, and the Ground Source Heat Pump Association. So can you just sort of describe, sort of kind of briefly, what a heat pump is? Okay, um, a heat pump uh, works like a fridge in your kitchen. It's, um, it will take the heat from where you put your food and your milk and everything else. And through a transfer of a refrigeration cycle, it dumps that heat into a radiator on the back of the fridge. Now, a heat pump will do exactly the same. It absorbs uh, the refrigeration that runs around the condenser, which is the big radiator on the back of a heat pump on an air source. It will absorb some energy from the air. That then gets compressed and turns into much more energy, like like you holding your thumb over an old bicycle pump, if anybody's ever done that, and the bicycle pump would get hot heat up and get quite hot. That then transfers to the water side. So now the refrigeration has been compressed. It's now hotter than the water that's running around your heating system. That heat then gets transferred to the water and then goes around your radiators or your underfloor or into your hot water. And that happens thousands of times uh, a minute. Um, and it's done through the refrigeration cycle. And, and uh, for those of you who are listening, that's where a refrigerant is basically changing phases between a liquid and a, and a vapour. Now, Paul, have you worked on many heat pumps? Um, I installed a lot of high-temp and low-temp diking units uh, about 10 years ago for a company I was working for. Um, a lot of it was new build, one-off buildings, um, and a lot was retrofitting for British Gas, trying to outsource the oil technology and bring in air source. Um, we did find, though, that bringing in air source for the retrofit, um, they weren't investing the money into the emitters in the property, um, and we were finding that the heat pumps weren't sufficient. And this is air-to-water, not air-to-air? Air-to-water, yeah. yeah. This was the diking um units uh the new builds with diking low temp working mainly on underfloor heating um and since then i've put in a valent aerotherm air source at home uh with 
standard radiators worked out to a correction factor to run at a flow temp of 35. So yeah, my property runs free of charge all year. Um, I can generate enough electricity from the PV on the roof and heat the home for, for nothing. Oh, fantastic. We actually did speak about this in the morning. You actually get a bit of a return on the investment. At yeah, the end of the year um, as well, I'm a bit, bit of an eco-warrior, you know, lighting and, and uh, shutting doors and windows, um, which my wife isn't overly happy about. But yeah, we're normally in credit around £200 a year because of uh, the, the heat and being so efficient. So yeah, I think it's a brilliant technology and the way to go. So you create, you, you create your own electricity because as we know, a heat pump needs power in. And then obviously the, the, the reason they're liked is because they, they give a lot more power out than what you actually yes, put in. Correct. Yes, correct. Yeah. Uh, James and Ashley, so, so have you been doing heat pumps recently? or uh, Same as Paul, really. Installed onto a, onto new builds, um, self, self builds or, or new builds for builders. Um, not done any retrofitting, um, but all fitted to underfloor heating at low temp um, and seem to have worked very well. James, you, you, you would have been, have you, did you work on heat pumps way back, you know, when the... Was, uh, yeah, uh, back uh, early 80s, bef- uh, the company I worked for prior to setting up on my own, um, we were installing Meissen heat pumps, uh, and they were, they were uh, air to water, uh, and we did some early uh, ground source as well, so water to water. So what, what, were, what was it, R22 back then, or what was the, what was the refrigerant I, back then? I think it was R22, but we, we had a refrigerant side on the firm so we yeah. we did all the plumbing works radiators and and underfloor and um, it's it's well speaking about refrigerate refrigerants to anyone sort of that doesn't know and that they, they, they've heard about heat pumps so ken as ken said they use a refrigerant and we've been swapping and changing refrigerants now for quite quite a few years obviously we're using we were using cfc's yes chloro let me try and get this right chlorofluorocarbons which obviously were damaging the ozone which are 22 uh, was one of um, I think what are we now on Ken R32 is that right yes yes R32 is the latest kid on the block um, every refrigerant has a uh, what they call global warming potential if you let it go to atmosphere it basically kills the atmosphere and some refrigerants are really really bad but they are in there trying to sort out the environment they are trying to introduce new refrigerants and R32 is the new kid on the block it's um its global warming potential is less than obviously the current ones that are being used it also has better um heat capabilities its window of heat output um compared to uh ambient conditions are also better than some of the current ones and i can explain that a little bit more if you I'll just I'll just for the listeners just explain this global warming potential so like with uh, r32 basically if you had a leak on that uh, kilogram of r32 is equal to about 600 kilograms of co2 isn't it yes um, that that sounds about and i think right. 410a which is the old the, the older gas and uh, still in a lot of systems yes. i imagine i mean you, you, if, a, if a kilogram of r410a leaks into the atmosphere that's the equivalent of about uh, 2088 kilograms of yeah, basically about, about right two tons of, of uh, so people have got to be aware that this refrigeration uh, refrigerant um gases we use um, I don't know too much about the, how the refrigerant industry is sort of standardised, where they're being made. I, I did read an article once about some of the banned ones are still being made in China and getting shipped over, so that's probably something we need to be quite careful about. I mean, it's not, it's not a scary thing because the, these, these machines are designed to be sealed. They're designed not to leak for, for years of longevity, but obviously things do break down and sometimes components do fail and they will leak. Um, 
you won't know that as an end user until maybe your your price your electricity bills start going up you're finding your heating's not working as well as it was or you're getting lack of hot water you might not actually know that you can't physically see it um until until problems arise and then you'd call an engineer um so going back to james and ashley have you sort of thought about this as a bit more of a niche because obviously james you've had a bit of experience in the past with heat pumps and obviously we, we are getting i mean one of the wonderful things about our industry is which hasn't happened for a long time is we've we've sort of got this real enthusiasm from people now now they've they start to talk about global warming or climate change you know, they're, t- they're even now talking about transport or heating, and of course that's our industry. So you've got a lot of people out there now actually getting interested in our industry, which is good because what I've always battled against is, you know, we're not all rogue traders. You know, the, you engineers have to know an incredible amount of knowledge. You really, really do, and that needs to be valued. It's valued in other European countries. Uh, it's not valued here as much as it should be. Um, and I think there's going to be lots of niches, and I think a lot of people are going to sort of really sort of get on board with the training with heat pumps and start to sort of incorporate that into their business plan is that something you two have been sort of thinking about um it's it's a it's a fairly old technology it's it's been it's been around for a long time but it was never really picked up uh on a a high level in the domestic market so it was it was restrictive cost wise so it would only be commercial commercial properties sort of uh, group doctor surgeries big uh companies that don't mind a big outlay uh, and for it to feed down into the domestic market, the prices have had to had to tumble, um, and it's now got to a stage where it's it's not a massive amount more to put in a heat pump than it is to, if you're off grid to say put in an oil boiler and site a tank um, and all the the ancillaries that go with it. So from a costings point of view, it it makes perfect sense, especially as you know as Paul said, he's running his property for for nothing. In mm. fact in profit at the end of the year mm. um but it is education uh education and advertising people sort of know about it but think it's expensive i uh, think they're expensive to run because of the ele- electricity costs but i think it i think the the figure is something like a, a it's a third a third of what you put in is is um relative to what you get out so it'll cost yeah. you a third of the 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 or, Say the running cost is three hundred pound, you'll get a thousand pounds worth or eleven hundred pounds worth of energy out of it. I mean, so they say one in sort of kind of three out, don't they? Ken, is that sort of the yeah? The, the average uh, there's a thing called coefficient of performance, the COP. So most heat pumps are well, all heat pumps are electric. Um, you put one part of electric in to run the pump, and through the refrigeration cycle and the way it all works, if you can run the system your heating system, wherever it be, your underfloor heating, your radiators, at the lowest possible flow temperature you can, you'll get a return of like 400, maybe 450%. So your heat pump is 450% efficient. So you put one part of energy in, you get four and a half uh, parts of energy out. And that's the difference over traditional fuels. What what uh, what would you say, Paul? Is the most expensive? What, why why are heat pumps expensive, or considered expensive? As as James said, they're coming down. In price. Yeah, I think they're coming down in price. But I think the initial um, purchase price of a heat pump is dearer than a, a gas boiler or an oil boiler. Um, but as James said, if you've got a install from new you've got to put the emitters radiators in anywhere. You've got to do the pipe work. Um, if you've got to choose between a heat pump and an oil boiler. With an oil boiler, you've got to fit the tank um, and the pipework that goes with it. It doesn't work out a great deal more. 
Um, personally, I would recommend the heat pump in, in every property, especially if there's no heat in there. Especially on the new builds, right? On new builds, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, underfloor heating throughout, um, running at a low temperature. Now, do you think we've got a problem as, as uh, I mean, you guys would know anyway, but you've just been on the IMI training where they do teach about um, pipe sizing. We've got a bit of a problem in this country, pipe sizing. Everyone does it on the sort of the old general rule of 15 mil, 22 mil, maybe a bit of 28. Well, of course, that was sized for what we call Delta 11 systems. Obviously, we've got condensing boilers now that are Delta 20 boilers, basically, and you, you can get away with a lot smaller pipe work. With a heat pump, that's different, isn't it, Ken? And we need sort of different pipe work again, don't we? It's a del- most heat pumps run on a delta C of five, so you you got to turn you got to turn it around uh, on their head a little bit. The pipe work, the pipe, they love big pipes. Uh, they are high velocity uh, um, water through those pipes. So yeah, big pipes and buffer tanks comes into play a lot more than you would do with a gas boiler system. They can work on traditional systems and you can retrofit on traditional systems, but you do need to think a lot more about the hydraulic size of it and upsizing radiators and things like that. I mean, you picked up on this word retrofit and I'm a big part of low carbon homes and and, and a lot of that is about retrofit. This is what people are interested in. And and, and if you're going to retrofit with a heat pump, ideally you want this kind of... I mean, I, I would say you can get away with your Delta 11 pipe work. Um, but like you say, sometimes you're going to have to make a few changes. What about building fabric? Everyone says you have to like insulate the hell out of a building before you use a heat pump. What would you say about that? Absolutely. Yeah, that is, that is the first thing uh, you should be looking at. You, you know, it's, it's, it may be the difference with you buying a size 16 unit compared to a size 12 unit. If you actually insulated you could save yourself a few thousand pounds on the, on the kit that you're actually buying. That smaller kit is going to be more efficient. It's going to be more efficient running the system. It's going to cost you less to buy and less running costs generally just by insulating your house, trying to airtight your house. And how um, would people go about that? Obviously, I think people would know about loft insulation. Some people may go the route of double glazing. I mean, a lot of people went that route anyway. And as I say to people, it's got quite a, a long payback of over 100 years. I mean... When I'm a big solar thermal advocate, and one of the things people say to me about that is it's got a long payback. Well, it actually hasn't no, if you use certain systems. I agree. Uh, talking about solar thermal, have ever, any of you ever done solar thermal or hooked it up to heat pumps? I mean, I know Ken probably yes, has. Yeah. What would you say about that, Ken? Um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of the higher end heat pumps now have inputs um, for additional um, sources. So, for example, you, if you've got PV, you can actually tap that into your heat pump and the, the heat pump will know when there's good PV being generated, good good uh, energy being, being generated. And it, it might decide to use that on a cycle, maybe maybe punch it into the hot water and take the hot water up another 10 degrees. Um, you can do the same with solar. You can, you can make the solar talk to the heat pump and it will actually hold back on doing maybe a hot water cycle and say, look, there's good solar thermal today. That's already doing the hot water. I don't need to do anything. So it will just back off and sit and stand by. What well, uh, everyone always likes to make some boilers, don't they? Have you, have, have you got particular favourite makes of heat pumps, you guys? You, you've got a Valent in, haven't you? I've sir? got a Valent in at home. But so my person, friends at Valent would love that. Yeah, um, that one of that uh, reasons for that was cost, but you know that, that's yeah. part of the reason for it. Um, personally, a big fan of Daikin. Um, I think they're 
leading the market. Um, Ken will probably disagree with that. Well, I should imagine uh, it's Mitsubishi or <laughs> Daikin, isn't it? No, 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 it's not actually. I, I have to say it's Nibi at the moment. Well, in the UK, is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, they are... Not with all... I mean, obviously, people have got to realise that heat pumps are your aircon units that are going in, split pan core units that are going in. I mean, they are essentially heat pumps as well, but we're talking about, I suppose, domestic heat pumps. Yeah, so... To heat um, at home. Nibi have a very good range, and I've, I've, I mean, I'm hopefully get some... Some kudos for this, but Nibi have a very good good range of ground source and air source, and they are very good at enabling additional devices to be tapped on quite easily. Um, You buy it, you buy a card, and that card you can code it for a pool or an oil boiler or gas boiler, and um, they are the user interface is very friendly as well for the end user. I mean, it's it's. I, I, when people ask me what is a good make of heat pump, uh, I mean, I, I'm not a heat pump engineer, but I've, my cousin's been involved in it for a long, long time, since the 70s. I mean, he was pulling heat out of Lake Geneva, all the sort of houses on the on, on the side of the millionaire rows, I suppose. Um, he does a lot of acoustic sensitive air conditioning for um, all the sort of ro- uh, post-recording studios and recording studios. But they kind of, they haven't got that many parts in them. I mean, we were talking about uh, an evaporator, a condenser, your... Um, Compressor. Compressor. They're all, they're and all very expansion similar. Valve. And they're all very similar. And, and a lot of them, I mean, funny enough, in 2010 when the tsunami hit uh, Thailand, uh, my cousin was having a lot of problem with all makes getting particular parts because all, they all turned out to be being made in one factory. Um, so when everyone says, well, what, what is your favourite? I, I like Nibby, and there's a reason why I like Nibby. It's because uh, Phil, who, who's the MD, have I got that right? That he's, they're engaging with engineers, and that's a very, very important thing with me. There's a lot of big companies in this heating industry, and if they're not engaging with the engineers, I think they're uh, I think they're losing out because y- you guys are the important people. You're the important voice in this whole equation. And at the moment, we're listening to scientists, we're listening to policymakers, uh, you know. And, and, and it, I often get a bit frustrated that people aren't actually listening to you, who actually go out and do it, see the problems, see what needs solving. That's what you do. You're problem solvers. Everyone else is talking about climate change. That's good. But you actually are there talking about efficiency. Can I get this right? Why isn't it working? You're at the coalface. You are the most important. And I think Nibby have really caught on to that and are, are really listening and engaging with engineers. There's a couple I've seen that aren't doing it at all. So maybe they outsource their social media to a, a PR company, which I do not understand. What's the point of social media? But um, no, I, I'm quite... Um, and, and Valiant as well. So I know Mark Wilkins, the training manager at Valiant, and they seem to be on board with this whole training. Yeah, picking up. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a big, big part of it. Um, I met um, uh, the chairman of the Heat Pump Association. I think he's Dakin, if I've got that right. Um, I think they are. Yeah, yeah. So are you going to sort of set yourself up, like advertise yourself as this is going to be something you do? Because obviously lots of people are going to start to get interested in renewables, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, where I am um, near Stonehenge, a lot of the work I do is uh, domestic work and it's all out in the sticks. So there's not a great call for gas. Um, I, I'm not a gas engineer. I was and, and decided to give it up and stick to oil. But now with the market moving towards a renewable energy, um, I think solar thermal and air source heat pumps can become a big part of, of the industry for me particularly. Um, and hoping that I can get on board with suppliers like Nevi, Valent, Daikin um, and start installing their kit um, in, in everyday properties rather than just the new builds or the one-off buildings, you know, retrofitting them in, in all sorts of properties and and yeah, I think it's going to headway the market for heating. Have um, any of you been on the manufacturer training? 
Yes. Yeah. Which yeah. one have you been on, Ken? Uh, quite a few of them. Yeah. Um, Any of them stand out? Um, Stiebel's good. Alpha Inertech is good. They're Omni, Omni Underfloor down in Exeter. Um, Kenza, Kenza is a ground source there, another local sort of UK-based company. Um I mean, it's the, tra- it's the training I'm quite passionate about. That's what I'm kind of known for. And that doesn't mean I, I actually know about it comes to train. I mean, I knew, obviously know a, lot, a bit about it. But it's, it's, it's the training methods we use. A lot of training in the UK across the board is instructional training. You go and get a lot of instruction from someone that's very passionate, knows a lot about it, and then away you go. And most people's minds will forget a lot of the stuff as soon as they walk out the door. And there's, there needs to be systems in place to mitigate that. You know, a lot of people will forget knowledge, and there needs to be systems in place. So I'm actually working... Or probably going to be working with a university to do uh, something about that. Um, I've heard Nibby's training is quite good. I'm going to go down at some point and have a little look at it. And well, I want to try and get across to all of them and just have a little look at their training methods. Valiant have invited me to. I mean, like they're quite on the ball with getting their training right. So that's good. Uh, they're good. That's worth it. We've done the, the Valiant heat pump training. Oh, brilliant! Well, well, Valiant gas boiler training and the, and the heat pump. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the heat pump training was. was is that one brilliant. of their centres of excellence? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. 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 Which one did you go to? Which one's your local one? Was it pa- Farnborough's our local? But I think we went to Bristol when it was, it was when, Bristol. It, when Bristol was still. Oh, I think that's Doug. Is that Doug training there? Yeah, yeah it was Doug. Yes. Yeah, yeah, Doug's. Doug's, they were Doug's good. Great. And their, and their whole um their whole backup and the, their their technical department and. Help and advice is second yeah, to none. Brilliant, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, they, I mean, they've definitely got the resources, and I think they're definitely going around it the right, the right way. I think. Um, I think things are really starting to turn now. It's starting to snowball. Um, the industry, the training. I, I had a. I was a bit down on some of the training um, in recent years. I, it was almost like a tick box exercise. It didn't really teach you much, um, and um, it didn't really. Um, give give engineers any tools to go out in the field and and start and start fitting equipment but um i think i think they're starting to realize they've got to up their game um, do you think that that was down to the mcs though and the feeding tariffs that they yes. were just pushing to get installers outfitting their product and the installers were doing it for the incentive for the end user yeah i i, I do paul i think i think um some of the industry and i'm hoping it's going to go out of this phase but it's it's almost going back to the gas boiler style where uh, everybody wants to try and get on the Band on the wave yeah um not necessarily with all the knowledge in place like no. today today's today's a great knowledge skill set for for even gas boilers any any boiler or any heating system including renewables um and we we need to be upped upscaled upskilled on on you know all these technologies go, going forward, um, and I think some of the ma- manufacturers are now starting to realise that they can't just do a sales training course for the day, um, and they need to get a bit more technical. And um, otherwise, because the guys that are doing the course are the guys that are going to be fitting their kit, and they what they don't want is callbacks from clients that have had badly installed equipment. No, I t- totally agree. I mean, when I speak at low carbon homes, it's before I run my workshop I do a bit of an introductory speech and I do actually try and elucidate the fact that our industry is quite unique in the world we had the biggest boiler industry gas boiler industry in the world till 2016 Uh, it's become a bit of a free-for-all and what happens then is uh, best practices are sort of sometimes forgotten and I did it I did actually say at the last low carbon homes at Manchester that the, the heat pump 
industry has quite a good opportunity to get it right now. We've seen the mistakes from the past. You know, our industry is market driven, so we, you know, like like Rob teaches, you know, we've we've got things that are oversized. People aren't trained properly. Training has become a sort of a, a an industry in its own right, where people just want to get you on the training, bums on seats, get some money, and away you go, and you're yes, not properly trained. Um, I, I really do think the heat pump industry could actually really make a good go of this and, and, and get this right, and actually uh, put our industry back up there where it should be, you know, status-wise. Um, coming back to you, uh, Ashley, so what is, uh, apart from uh, the renewable technology we're talking about at the moment, which is heat pumps, have you sort of... It, got involved in any other sort of renewable technologies or uh, we did a fair bit of solar thermal a few years ago um but it seemed to plateau off because of the because of the outlay customers didn't want to spend the money um we actually did one this year a valent solar thermal system on a new build um and the customer's very happy with it It covers the hot water throughout the whole of the summer and and much of the autumn um but it's the initial outlay people don't want to spend the money they don't want to spend the four or five thousand pound to to fit solar thermal they don't understand the the savings that they'll have um so it, it needs to be put out there by the government and by it's such people. a brilliant thing i mean i've done a th- solar thermal episode i mean we we adopted the sort of european methods of solar thermal uh you know so it's, it's heating up a cylinder um and, and you'd have expansion vessel and you'd have your glycol i mean you can do it i've done it with a, a bog standard thermal store open vented that costs probably about 600 quid tubes that could probably cost about 500 quid my controller and no one has to have their heating on for the whole yeah. summer you know no, no oil or gas whatever you want the, the, the sun is doing it all it's doing a thermal store so you've got plenty of hot water rather than the cylinder could run out you know you can get two bars two and a half bars easy and it contributes to your heating so like i mean there's a friend of ours eric hawkins you know on a clear day in the month of november he's running his whole heating off of it and trying to get the sort of the powerful people, I suppose, involved in this country, like the CCC, actually to listen. I mean, they're, they're listening to the hydrogen industry because it's the biggest industry. Our boiler industry is, is huge. And, of course, they've got a lot of influence to say, come on, government, come and listen to us. But, um, you know, we've really got to start thinking about... And, of course, solar thermal works really, really well with heat pumps, really well. Yes, yes. Uh, the, the regulation at the moment, I th- I, I'm not quite sure and f- um, fully gender up on the MCS rules, but if you start thinking out the box in trying to claim the RHI if you don't fit the criteria or tick the right boxes you can't get the RHI so you're you're pigeonholed into fitting certain technologies and not I want to add a thermal store instead of a cylinder I want to put a solar thermal and I believe the rules are you can't do things like that at the moment it's as if uh, you get to our age and history get a little bit cynical solar thermal is free Yep. So electric utilities lose profit. And, you know, everyone, energy is a very, very big game. Lots of people, it's a trillion dollar industry. And if you start whacking solar thermal in, which is an off-grid technology, people lose profit. Great for the homeowner and great for the environment. And I don't understand why people aren't getting it. And they say, oh, it's expensive. There's a payback. Like I said before, there's a payback on everything. Um, you know, there's a payback on the car you drive. Uh, there's definitely a payback on double glazed windows. Um, but this is it's, it can be simple technology and we should be using it and I think that's another thing I'm hoping the heat pump industry will actually tag onto and realise and think oh and, and I've been saying it to the oil industry as well I mean they, they want to sort of promote themselves with biofuels and both you and I Paul have sort of come from an oil background I can't I can't help but like oil because I, I grew up in, in the oil boiler industry yeah. um, 
it's an off-grid technology in a, in, its, in a sense, and it's uh, kept a lot of very old people alive. I mean, the villages. My dad had uh, 176 villages that he used to go out to. Had 700 customers, all on his own, still working. 76 years old. He's, he's wound it down to about <laughs> maybe about 90 customers now, but they're very old people, and I can't see them wanting a heat pump. Put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's. Uh, it's, it's, but I've said to the, the oil industry, they should be sort of really, really hammering home how solar thermal can help them as well. Um, I'm I'm hoping PVT come back, makes yes. a comeback, because solar PV panels actually lose efficiency when they get too hot. So you don't actually get a, the 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 optimum watts out of a solar panel when it's too hot. But you put a, a solar thermal panel on the back of a, a solar PV panel, it keeps it cooler. So yeah, the PV, it, it? PV becomes more efficient, and you're getting hot water at the yeah, same time. Use of the latent heat. They've, they've got places in, in they've got a hotel in Switzerland, so it produces million a million liters of water every year. It produces all its own uh, electric energy from the P. So PVT stands for photovoltaic thermal. So it produces all its electricity from the PV. It's water cooled because a PV panel get they get very hot. Uh, so you, you, I mean, ideally you water cool them. I think over 26 degrees they start to lose efficiency. So the water that's cooling them then goes into somewhere that then powers the heat pump, and it's a self-sustaining system. But once again, no one profits. I mean, I, want, I often wonder why developers, you know, they're building like 20, 30, 40, 50 homes. Well, they don't do district heating systems where they've got this plant, and then they charge the customer obviously cheaper than what they would be paying a utility company. And they were in a win-win. They sell the houses and they've got the maintenance contractor and, and the people, I think, will move in and think, this is this is green. We're going to move into these places because it's, it's completely self-sufficient. And I think, I don't, I don't know why they don't do it. I've got no idea. What um, what can you see sort of the future bringing, Ken, in the sort of the next sort of, well, let's say next, next year because it seems to be uh, the impetus behind heat pumps is, is growing, isn't it, exponential, I think. Um, as I said earlier, everybody's trying to get onto... Um I want to do a bit of heat pump work and and the government's pushing that as well and to meet their carbon targets things will have to change but we also going back and repeating ourselves you need you need to get the insulation sorted out first every everybody could have a heat pump to a certain degree um but to claim the RHI you need to tick so many boxes including insulation do you get customers that aren't bothered about the RHI yes. they just say can you know just do a really good system what you think is good do you get yeah. Uh, small systems, they know, as Paul said, it's, it's either a toss-up uh, between they've got to buy an oil boiler, an oil tank, and the infrastructure that goes with that, or they buy a heat pump. And, and sometimes they, it's a small system, maybe five kilowatts. Um, it's a new build. And yeah, I've, I've got a few customers that they, they, they can't be bothered with the paperwork and for the, for the extra money that we have to charge to go through that process. You know that could be a couple of years saving that they might get on an army try. For any sort of engineers uh, wanting to sort of learn more about this technology, what sort of things would you advise them to do? Obviously, we live in a world now, a wonderful world of YouTube. I mean, it's quite actually. If you want to learn the refrigeration cycle, I should imagine people should go onto YouTube. I mean, one one thing I used to teach students is when I was young, I always I always used to forget what what's the condenser doing, what's the evaporator doing. And the way I remember it, and I always remember things very abstractly, I always go back to the fridge because we've had we've had heat pumps for a long, long time. Everyone's got a fridge, and everyone kind of knows that at the back of the fridge, you've got a coil, and that's usually hot. Everyone kind of knows that. And inside your fridge, you've got a coil. You can't probably see it, 
But I always used to remember which is the evaporator, which is the condenser, because I always used to think, like, like you said earlier, you put something in the fridge, and when you put something in the fridge, it's not the fridge making that cool, because heat only moves one way. It moves hot to cold. So that apple you put in has got heat energy, and it's moving to the evaporator. And I always remembered it by Edam cheese. You put your cheese in the fridge, Edam, E, for evaporator. And that's the only way I've ever remembered it. <laughs> Edam cheese, E for evaporator. Evaporates inside. That's what's taking the heat. And what you do, you end up boiling your refrigerant. So refrigerants boil at a very low temperature. So I think I think 410 is around minus 48, I think. Have I got that right? So about minus 48, that will boil. And that sounds strange to people because obviously people think minus 48 is really cold. But you've got to remember, every temperature has energy. Unless you go down to minus 273.15, which is absolute zero, every temperature has energy. And that's just basically your molecules moving about. And once you get down to absolute zero, molecules stop moving, or atoms stop moving about. So you put your EDAM in, and the heat energy wants to move to boil that refrigerant. And that's called latent energy, so it's boiling. It's not actually raising the temperature of that refrigerant. It's a bit like if you put your pan of hot water on the stove and watch it boil, you're not actually raising the temperature anymore after 100, but you're still putting heat energy into it. And that's what we call latent heat, and it kind of works on that principle. So anyone wanting to sort of get involved in it, it's a, it's a nice science to sort of learn, and sometimes it will take you take a little while to get your head around it. But yeah, e damn cheese. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every day is a school day. But I, I think to answer your question from an installer's point of view, um, most installers won't really need to know. That's just the wet side, don't they? Yeah, yeah. they don't yeah. don't need to know how the the heat source works, be it an oil boiler, gas boiler, or a heat pump. It, the installation of it is is exactly the same. So, yeah. so anyone who's who's got experience in installing a, a gas boilers, oil boilers, solid fuel boilers can install a heat pump system. It's just it's just the heat source and, and getting the system right because obviously the design of the system. I, I, I think I, is I, a key I, part. There's a few of us say it, and I inculcate it all the time. Doesn't matter how efficient your heat source, whether it's a, a methane gas boiler or a hydrogen gas boiler or a heat pump. Doesn't matter one iota how efficient they are unless you've got an efficient system yeah. and unfortunately in the uk a lot of our systems are inefficient yes. uh, and that's usually down to corrosion we've got a big corrosion problem i won't bang on about that i'll do an ep- another episode on that because it's a big beef with me um i'd like to thank all you gentlemen for coming we've had a long day actually haven't we and i'm I'm driving back to Dunstable to do some more training tomorrow. Where's everyone got, Ken, where have you got to go to? Uh, Basingstoke, centre of the universe. Now, yeah. if anyone wants to get hold of you, Ken, if they've got a heat pump installation, they thought, well, who's this Ken? And I'd like to use him. Where, what, what do they do? How do they get hold of you? You've got a website? Just look me up on, on the web, Renewable Heat, or Renewable Hyphen Heat, Basingstoke. So, so that's Ken Bone, Renewable Heat, and uh, he's good, ladies and gentlemen, because uh, I've been wanting to meet him for a long time now, because, um, you know, on our social media, all our, us engineers are sort of chatting away, aren't we, about all sorts of things. And, and uh, Paul, if people want to get hold of you, where are you based? Uh, Stonehenge. We don't have air source heat pumps at Stonehenge because it'd be a waste of time. No, uh, the <laughs> best place to get hold of me is probably Facebook or Twitter, um, Highland Plumbing and Heating Limited. So that's Paul Lane from Highland uh, Pl- Plumbing and Heating Limited. And we've got the father and son team, James and Ashley. And you are H two O Plumbing and Heating, nineteen eighty four Limited. And what, what, how do people get hold of you? Or where, or where are you based? We're based in Winchester, um, and same either Facebook or Twitter or our website, which is H two O Plumbing and Heating Limited. So, yep. Thanks, thanks ever so much. And we're going to have a lot more. Uh, anyone listening, we're going to have a lot more talk about heat pumps in the future. I can guarantee that. Thank you for listening, and thank you to my guests. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.